are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Monday, everybody. We're back on the grind here on your Monday afternoon from 2 to 4 p.m. on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner and Lance Daw here for the Monday edition of the show. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Find us on Twitter, our station Twitter handles at ESPN1067 at Fox Sports 983. Lance, how you doing today, my man? Doing great, Noah. How are you? I'm doing very well. Of course, not the greatest news about Auburn football second scrimmage. Not the greatest news that broke right after our show ended on Friday with your Friday news dump of course referring to the COVID news inside Auburn's program but let's talk about that second scrimmage first and if you want to talk to us if you got question for us if you got comments for us we want to hear from you once again 334-321-1390 and the text line at 334-564-1840 takeaways from Auburn's second scrimmage that happened this past weekend yeah first things first you know the offensive line and the quarterback play um, wasn't wasn't particularly impressive. Nothing really changed from what I read um, from the second scrimmage to the or from the first to the second scrimmage. Um, Bo Nix was picked off by Roe Torrance, I believe, in the end zone. That was returned uh, for a pick six. Uh, it, you know, it, but the, I don't I don't believe that the situations that these guys were being being put in necessarily changed. Qu- uh, the quarterbacks Loy, Finley, Nix, Davis were all being put in high pressure sh- situations. Uh, situations uh, down at the goal line, time situations, different things like that. And the defense was just able to go out there and execute once again. So I'm not necessarily putting it all on the offense because obviously Auburn's defense is good and they're going to go out there and they're going to understand what's going on. They're going to go out there and actually be able to execute. But it's a second scrimmage in a row where the offense has just not managed to really gel or take a, a step forward just based off of what we've seen in red. Going back to the questions that I asked you on Friday about what you were going to be paying attention to going into this second scrimmage, do you think this team showed improvement this past weekend? Obviously not there, but do you think they showed improvement? I don't. uh, On the offensive side of the ball, no. Not from not from what I've read. I don't think there was anything in particular that really impressed me. I was looking to see uh, what uh, Demetrius Robertson was able to do. He was able to actually get some catches from Knicks, uh, according to what I've read. So that was good to be able to see the Knicks try and find some rhythm uh, with a couple of these receivers. Um, but other than D. Rob, there was nothing particularly impressive, at least from at least from what we broke down uh, that I was looking at that uh, that necessarily impressed me or made me feel like this team has improved folks that i've conversed with did not have high praise for the offensive side of the ball to say the least right and so to hear that two times in a row two scrimmages in a row i'm not hitting the panic button i'm not going to make this overblown like the first scrimmage was and i would encourage folks out there to not overblow this 
like last time because once again it was a heavy pass scrimmage from what I understand they were put into high pressure situations like you already mentioned and with a lot of when when the defense knows what's going to happen when the defense knows what you're working on it's human nature they shouldn't be doing this but it's human nature for them to kind of naturally favor what they need to do to stop it right like you can't play dumb you know what's coming right and so that's obviously going to help the defense out a lot and what they expect coming from the offense on every play right that makes it all the much more difficult for the offense to succeed under those parameters so I'm not freaking out about this I didn't hear the things that I wanted to hear coming from the second scrimmage it doesn't sound like that they took an actual real significant step forward it may have been another baby step I don't think it's time to panic I don't think that they regressed but obviously a lot must have been going on this weekend or throughout last week when you find out that Brian Harson is diagnosed with COVID or tested positive for COVID-19 back on Friday you also you're missing your defensive coordinator as well with Derek Mason supposedly and you read articles out there there could have been players that were missing throughout the week as well all of that combined and those guys thrown yet again into a pressure situation there's a lot working against them right now yeah absolutely the off uh, the offense definitely has a lot of things like you mentioned going against them and it's not necessarily their fault and you can't necessarily hold them hold them to a standard that they can't meet because of these these limitations that they have and because of these outside factors my three uh things that I was looking at were uh see if we could solidify the offensive line a little bit I wanted to see better decision making from the quarterbacks and I wanted to see what Demetrius Robertson did Robertson uh from all accounts that I've heard didn't do anything necessarily special but he did catch a few passes so I'm happy with that better decision making from the quarterbacks I believe that uh I believe that Loy uh threw an interception as well um might be wrong on that I believe he was picked off by Joko Willis um yeah yeah he was he was picked off by Joko Willis on Friday and then the offensive line obviously is not helping the quarterbacks out because they're still running for their life I it's hard to imagine all four of Auburn's quarterbacks not making good decisions from a clean pocket. I mean, these are SEC caliber guys. In a clean pocket, they, they're going to make right decisions. So it's it's only fair to assume, if it's not been said that the, the offensive line is just completely falling apart, that these guys are under pressure, under a lot of pressure and a lot of, a lot of duress. And, you know, the, it, it, it starts and ends in the trenches for me. And it's from what all, all accounts I've heard, Auburn is not taking – major strides forward there in on on the offensive line and I'll add to this you remember Brian Harson's press conference from over a week ago after the first scrimmage he said it's never as bad as you think it's never as good as you think and I'm Mm -hmm. holding to that right now I still don't believe that it's as bad as some people may be worrying about at the moment with quarterback play and with offensive line play you have to look at this in the lens of the way that they orchestrated the scrimmage it was a pass heavy scrimmage a higher pass split in the scrimmage than you would expect I would imagine in a regular season football game right Mm -hmm. and so that is going to prompt more interceptions right because there are more opportunities and the defense knows what's coming right so that's why I'm not bothered by the picks and I don't know if we can fully latch on to the narrative that these quarterbacks aren't improving in their decision making right? right 
nobody's talking about positives that are coming out, but how often every offseason do we go through and, and, and folks latch onto the negatives and they don't really talk about the positive, right? So that's where I get into I don't think it's as bad as people will tend to make it out to be, right? On the flip side, is the defense as good as we think it is? Probably not as good as they're being made out to be right now because the offense probably is helping them out a little bit, right? Is right. it even still going to be good? Very good, in my opinion? Yes. But at this point, I think that there's always a happy medium, and that may not be the sexy th- that may not be the sexy thing to say on a radio show. But I'm just trying to to quell the worry if there is any out there because I would just I, I would still say, look, this is going to be a good football team. Now's not the time to panic. Obviously, I don't think that they've taken massive strides forward on the offensive side of the ball. But after everything that you've heard from last week going on inside the program that doesn't shock me one bit at some point though now that you're two weeks away you're under two weeks away from the start of football season that that's it you've got one more Saturday between you and the season opener things better start getting together these are the crucial two weeks right and well let's talk about the 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 few positive things that we got from this scrimmage at least on the offensive side of the ball talked about D-Rob uh sources say that he connected on multiple pass plays in in the in the first scrimmage or in in that in that scrimmage rather uh, had a really nice gain on an end around. We saw him do that quite a bit for Georgia back in 2018. Uh, Auburn's running back room. Jarquez Hunter was not able to participate in the second uh, second scrimmage, but Sean Jackson, a walk-on, and Jordan Ingram apparently both had pretty solid out- outings. Sean Jackson uh, had two touchdowns uh, in short yardage situations. J.J. Evans, Shedrick Jackson, Javaris Johnson, all receivers that were out there making uh, make, making uh, catches from Bo Nix. Jackson actually dropped apparently a really big play, which has kind of been a theme with Jackson, him him dropping passes over the course of his Auburn career. Would love to see him uh, get that cleaned up. But, yeah, if they're connecting with these guys, it, it, it's not being spoken about enough that, well, they actually are still able at different points, able to, to complete some passes to guys and move the ball a little bit. And so I think – yeah, absolutely. When you're talking about this defense and it, no, it having all the answers, you can't put everything on this offense because at the end of the day, there are some positive things that they went out there and did. Something else worthy to note is that Javaris Johnson and Demetrius Robertson were also uh, seeing action as punt returners uh, for Auburn. So they're they're your two guys potentially at that at that uh, spot. And I'll add to this: Akron and Alabama State are an extension of fall camp. The quality yep. of that opposition, nothing against those two, nothing against those two programs, but the quality of that opposition is and, and I don't want to say glorified scrimmage. That's not the direction that I'm going in. But Auburn, regardless of what they attempt to do against those two teams, should be able to win those football games handily. And I'm talking about three, four scores definitely right like at least and if, if it's less than that honestly if it's at just 21 points if Auburn were to only beat Alabama State 42 to 21 I'd be like what happened right like what what, what is going on with the defense or something like that you know so really it, it should be a significant blowout in both of those football games regardless of what Auburn attempts to do from a schematic perspective well we talked about what Auburn should be doing in those first game first two games whether or not they should be working on the passing game and, and having Bo Nix throw the ball 30 times or if they will be bland and trying to reserve some of their play calls as to hide it from you know future big opponents like Penn State and LSU whatever Auburn decides to do uh there are merits to both of those arguments of course people have heard me say that I 
tend to land on the side of things where I would like to see Auburn air it out a lot in those first two games and really focus on the things that they need to improve on and considering the way that these scrimmages have been oriented towards the passing game I am more inclined to believe that this coaching staff probably feels the same way and will actually do that when it comes to game time against Akron and Alabama State that I think we will be seeing them throw the football a ton and working out the kinks with the offensive line of the passing game will they actually be challenged a ton by those two teams no because those are two very bad football teams by all accounts so I'm not expecting them to I'm not expecting them to for you to really know a ton about this football team after the first two but I I, I think that it is an extension of course of fall camp and they will be continuing on they will be continuing to work on the things that they're struggling with right now that will continue into the first two weeks and not the struggles but the working on it i'll say this on top of that you know talking about this scrimmage specifically and forcing this offense to throw the ball more and work out the kinks and and get some chemistry going with this these offensive linemen and get some chemistry going between these quarterbacks and these receivers if you're putting them inside the 25 yard line and you're making them throw like you mentioned earlier the defense knows what's up they're not going to play dumb they're going to go out there and they're going to stop the pass it's like it's a it's a good defense that knows what's going to happen they're going to go out there and execute so whenever you hear about these turnovers whenever you hear about these deflections these sacks these are really high pressure situations for an offense that's trying to learn a new scheme and trying to work out the kinks and it's just going to take time and I think like you just mentioned we're going to see through the Akron and Alabama State games Auburn continuing to try and work out those kinks throwing the football around a little bit trying to figure out who their top three or four guys are trying to figure out how this offensive line gels where should Brandon Council be I think is a really big question right now should he be a tackle should he be a guard they're trying to figure out how to make this unit gel so they're just trying to work out the kinks right now and it really really hurts whenever you lose your coach and your defensive coordinator uh, for a few days but I think Auburn will recover because again their two opponents like you said it's not a glorified scrimmage but they're going to be able to go out there and execute and do whatever they want to do in those two football games regardless of whether or not it's passing or running the football I'll make a school analogy here as everybody's back to school and in classes as intern Belichick behind the boards like no don't talk about school to me <laughs> but as folks are back to school those first two games those are the quizzes to make sure that you're doing your homework though they don't they're not going to be a heavy weight on your grade very very small percentage in your overall grade in the class you're you you ought to be able to pass them they're just making sure that you're doing your homework all right the Penn State game's the test and if you're not prepared and if you don't really have a good grasp on the content well you you might get a C you might get a D and you're not standing on a good you're not you're not on a good footing to open up the year and if it's one of those ridiculous college classes where your professor seems to be giving you a trick question every other every other question right and it's one of those weed out science court science courses right you may come out with an F and you might be in a really bad spot right against after that Penn State game so everything is working up towards that first test the first two grades they're not they're not a big deal just make sure that you're getting your work done make sure that you're make sure that you're staying the course and that you're preparing for the ultimate test because if you don't look good at one of those two quizzes that's not an, a great indicator that you're going to do well on set test yep exactly it's all going to come down to what happens in week three and while I said throughout this offseason that I was really optimistic about Auburn's chances in this game Uh, The more that comes out during fall camp, you know, I'm just really hoping that Auburn utilizes those two weeks to the best of their advantage. 
let's flip the script here of course if you want to call in 334-321-1390 text line at 334-564-1840 whatever's on your minds your thoughts on the second scrimmage what you may have read what you may have heard we want to hear from you 334-321-1390 i want to revert this back now to friday auburn's covid situation right now with the coaching staff having a couple of positives as well as the reports out there of players having dealt with it throughout the week and still dealing with it to to this moment what are your thoughts what are your takeaways on this current situation as it has become a hot topic well it's definitely going to hinder auburn a little bit during this fall camp and auburn's not had a, had a great fall camp uh at least from the offensive side of the ball and that we can defend the offense and obviously there are reasons to defend the offense but it's not been a great camp overall still and to lose your your head coach for a few days is definitely detrimental to your growth as a program as you move towards the start of the season it's disappointing just to see it happen I feel like it, it, it for for a lot of schools out there this is going to happen at some point during during the year somebody's going to test pos- positive it's going to happen it happened last year in right. fall camp right this so, did occur so with, with with or without the vaccine, I feel like at some point another school besides Auburn is going to experience this. Now I'm not saying that it's okay that it's happening. I'm just saying that it might not be it it might not be as as specific as some people may think. I think that this is something that could that could happen in a lot of different places. All that to say, though, it's disappointing. It's definitely going to set Auburn back, but I do hope that Brian Harson and Derek Mason and whoever else could have potentially tested positive. I hope they're doing just fine. I hope they're healthy, and I hope they're able to get back out there as, uh, as soon as possible because Auburn needs the coaching. That's right, and unfortunately, they're going to be out for 10 days since that moment that they tested positive. That's what Auburn's protocol requires is isolation for 10 days, so that's what the program's dealing with at the moment, but I think a lot's being made out of this, and maybe too much is being made out of this. A lot of people quick to hit the panic button on this one that they're already hearing these issues, and that's linked in conjunction with the statement that he made at SEC Media Days when he was asked about his vaccination status, right? And folks made a lot out of that, and, and, and it continues. And regardless of what your opinion is on it, that's fine. Like, if, if you think that he should be doing a better job of encouraging folks to get vaccinated, I understand that. I, I understand, right? But my thing is... Let's don't hit the panic button that all of a sudden this is going to cause mass forfeitures throughout the season. I think that that's a little unrealistic because nobody, very few teams last year, I shouldn't say nobody, but very few teams last year, and I shouldn't say nobody because then again, I think back to Virginia Tech, but even Virginia Tech last year found ways to play with like 20 plus players out in football games last year. Now it didn't help them and that could cost Auburn if they do have a lot of guys out with second stringers out there that could cost Auburn in football games. But let's don't act like there were you know situations last year where multiple times in one season a team or, or or there were a ton of teams last year where multiple times in one in one circumstance this that team would have had to forfeit you know three or four games last year so I wouldn't take it to that extreme right now could this end up if if managed poorly could this end up in a situation where Auburn could have to forfeit 100% I asked that question last week when we were asked if he had if he had the coronavirus right and I said, look, wouldn't it be something if Auburn had to forfeit the Akron game? That would be horrible, right? I'm not saying that it's not possible. It 100% is possible in this day and age. But I have a hard time believing that this coaching staff, with as detail-oriented as they are, and when you look at the press release and the statement that Brian Harson made last week when he announced that he did have COVID, he even touched on it. They have a contingency in place, and I think they have protocol in place to make sure that they are able to play football games. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And again, 
at the end of the day for me, I'm just I, I have a really positive outlook on it. I'm just excited that we're back. I do believe Auburn's going to get to play. But it, uh, a question that I've thought about recently is, you know, if Auburn or another team were to have to forfeit that game, what would the AP poll look like? Like, would they move Auburn down just because that they didn't get to play? Or how would that shake out? I think that'd be interesting to see how the, how uh, uh, pollers handle that. Uh, but but again, at the end of the day, I think Auburn's going to be just fine. I hope Harson gets out there ba- uh, back out there as soon as possible. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we ask the question, is Auburn ahead, on, or behind schedule in fall camp? We'll be right back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Monday to everybody. Talk a little bit about Auburn's second scrimmage of fall camp. Takeaways from that second scrimmage as well as takeaways from Auburn's current COVID-19 situation. You've got some thoughts? Call in at 334-321-1390 as well as text us at 334-564-1840. This week's Point Broadband High School Player of the Week is Auburn High School's Clyde Pittman. The junior quarterback tossed two touchdowns and 74 yards on 8-for-11 passing while adding an additional 25 yards on the ground with a score to lead Auburn to a season-opening 45-0 win over Park Crossing last Friday night. The Tigers are 1-0 of the year with the annual rivalry game against Opelika coming up this Friday. Clyde Pittman, your Point Broadband High School Player of the Week. Point Broadband smarter faster fiber internet point-broadband.com Auburn High School trouncing park crossing 45 to 0 in that season opening win last Friday night this Auburn team looks good and Davis Harson threw a touchdown pass in that game as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was a beautiful throw that Harson threw uh, to the outside. I believe it was a corner route. Just a beautiful, beautiful throw. Um, intern Belichick was was talking to us during the break that it was not the correct read, but it was just such a good throw from Harson that the corner just could not get to it. So uh, we could see, like I said, I believe I said on on uh, on Friday before the game, I was like, could we see uh, the son of, of Brian Harson potentially playing for the Tigers? at some point uh in in the future and you know with throws like that as a 10th grader I could absolutely see it regardless of the read though he still threw it to a location that yep nobody could get to and intern Belichick's got something to say about it it really reminded me of the uh of Bo Nix and Seth Williams throw late in the Oregon game the the game winner it reminded me of that kind of it wasn't a great read but he put the ball in a place where only his guy could catch it which kind of, I, I don't know, I thought I thought the throw was really impressive. Over the shoulder, caught it. I mean, they like, thrown to the perfect location. If there was receiver open, I thought it was a fantastic display of this kid's true potential and arm talent at quarterback. But I'll tell you, the starter, Clyde Pittman, he played out of his mind as well. Played really well. 8 for 11, passing once again. 74 yards, two touchdowns through the air, and then another 25 on the ground with a touchdown as well. And so, I mean, he looked really good as well, which is a big reason why he is our Point Broadband High School Player of the Week, Clyde Pittman, and Auburn and Opelika coming up this Friday. That game at Opelika, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people tuned into that ball game and also at that ball game. Yeah, it's going to be really, so. going to be really, really exciting. I've already seen a few people that I know uh, on Snapchat literally just posting to their story with just like "Good morning," and it's the final score from last year's game when Auburn obliterated Opelika. Just like, oh, just to remind everybody what happened last year. Just, just, just let you be know. careful though. 
That's always a close game. It is always. Regardless of how good either team is. Be careful when you're talking talking smack like that because it may not work out in your favor when it's all said and done. And uh, then you're going to be the one with the egg on your face and the bad post on your account. So That's what I was thinking. I was like, man, while they, they might have beat him, like, that's still it's a rivalry game. Anything can happen. Got a couple minutes here before we go to break. Going back to Auburn's second scrimmage and the culmination of two scrimmages up to this point, you're about halfway through fall camp, two weeks away from the start of the regular season against Akron. I want to ask this question to you. Is Auburn ahead, on, or behind schedule in fall camp in terms of their progression and being ready for the regular season? I think I think the, uh, the, the COVID situation definitely sets Auburn back just a little bit. Um, I think Auburn is just slightly behind schedule, but at the same time, I believe that's to be expected. With everything that has gone on this offseason with a new coach, new coaching staff, new schemes on both sides of the ball, um, just trying to implement a lot of new things that these players are not accustomed to, have, to, to uh, having to do, I think that Auburn was, was expected to just be at least slightly behind schedule, and that's kind of what, what our thought process was going into the Akron and Alabama State games. It's like, well, Auburn gets two tune-up games to kind of really figure out what they're made of and what they do well and what they don't, and they can work on some things heading into that Penn State game. This COVID stuff uh, certainly, in my mind, sets it back just a little bit just a little bit so I think Auburn is just slightly behind schedule it's to be expected but I do believe that, that the Tigers will pick it up as we get closer to uh, game one and throughout the first two weeks of the season I still think they're on schedule but it is trending in that direction where if they aren't careful if they aren't on their p's and q's this week they could fall behind I'm not ready to say that they're behind schedule just yet because they have covid running through the program at the moment other programs are going to deal with this as well what would depend on if they fall behind schedule is how auburn handles it and it's how this program manages this situation and that is that's yet to be seen because this is the week where i think you really can begin to draw conclusions about that and when they get to game week where you're you or you are preparing for akron if they even are you know heavily preparing for their first two opponents which i don't think they will be i still think that auburn's in this unique situation where they can focus on themselves heavily for the first two weeks rather than have to really focus on what an opponent is going to be looking to do until you get to the third week of the regular season so that's a great thing for auburn auburn's getting in my mind an extra two weeks of fall camp that's the way that i see it right and so i don't think that they're behind at the moment i understand how one would say yes because of the covid situation though that they are behind i just want to see how they handle this week first before i get to that point right and that's kind of been the philosophy of this coaching staff is that one and oh mentality let's not get ahead of ourselves let's just focus on what we're doing and trying to go out there and execute that to the best of our ability let's continue to work on ourselves in week one let's take a look at akron and let's make sure we go out there and we know what we're going to do to beat Akron. And so I think with what they're trying to do right now in terms of forcing these quarterbacks in this offensive line in high-pressure situations, I think there are some positive things to take away from that because at the end of the day, if they do all of a sudden click or they do start to improve in certain areas, whenever they do get thrown into that legitimate high-pressure situation, uh, they'll they'll actually uh, make, do, make some good things happen. Let's head to a quick break here. Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports up next. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Almost said Jeremy Law. You know why? 
because Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.net is on the line with us. Jay Law, how you doing today, my man? I know that we're the original on the line host. People don't understand that. You've made it through a few co-hosts, but I'd I'd still like to have it under my belt that we're the original. We are the original, and and, and I'm not going to lie. It's still in my brain. Sometimes it's emblazoned. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Jerry Law. It has stood the test of time, and it almost found its way out right there. Well, my man, Alabama football also went through their second scrimmage of fall camp. What are some of your takeaways now as the Tide are two weeks away from kicking it off against Miami? Uh, a little shuffling around on defense. I like Drew Sanders uh, got a lot um, a lot of reps at that outside linebacker position. Not sure if Chris – I wasn't there, obviously, but not sure if Chris Allen um, just didn't play. Uh, but Drew Sanders got a, got a lot of reps there. And he looks really good, and he's as advertised as he was coming out of high school. Five-star talent, top 20 player in the country overall. And uh, I think the big key for that defensive backfield is that um, Jalen Armour Davis continues – continues to just kind of elevate his play each and every day of practice and at every every scrimmage at that cornerback slot. And he continues to hold off a five-star like Kool-Aid McKinstry. And Kool-Aid's going to be a first-round talent one day, but I think if you're an Alabama fan and you're thinking, how do you replace PS2? Well, you have Josh Job on the other side, who has always felt like a lot more physical of a corner. Now, maybe not all the cover skills that Sertan had, but for Jalen Armour Davis to – continue to hold off such a highly touted recruit of the likes of Kool-Aid McKinstry. I think you have to really like it. And with DeMarco Helms um, sidelined with an ankle injury at safety, um, Coach, I think Coach Saban even said it, Brian Branch has really stepped up. He has played a lot of good football, and he's a guy that Saban probably wanted to find a way to get on the field outside of just a dime package because he played had some valuable reps last year, quality reps. I thought he played really well. And if they can find somebody to put back there behind battle if Helms isn't ready to go, Brian Branch is a playmaker. Malachi Moore is just as good as always. And so, I don't know. I think that, yeah, you know what you're getting from the linebackers. You know what you're getting from the defensive line. I mean, DJ Dell's ready to go. Phil Mathis, Tim Smith, um, a, a Boyd B, um, and the rest of the crew. So, I mean, like, you know what you're getting right there. LeBron Ray, also one of those is a little banged up. But you know what you're getting there. So, all the questions kind of surrounded the defensive backfield, and Jalen Armour Davis is playing lights out, and Brian Branch stepping in for a Helms who's a little banged up and didn't sl- didn't seem to slump off at all. So I think you got to be excited about that. And the offense is the offense, and Jason McClellan uh, had a good scrimmage, looked good, um, and there's four, three or four running backs for Alabama that could start, and there's probably not a drop off in between any of them. Well, you talk about the shuffling on the defense, and it seems like Alabama's also uh, shuffling a little bit on the offensive line. Chris Owens was considered to be a lock to be the starting uh, center after filling in for Landing Dickerson in the SEC championship game and the college football playoff last season. He started at center in the spring game for Alabama in the second scrim- or in the first scrimmage, but in the second scrimmage, Darian Dalcourt was the uh, the first team center. Was it because of injuries, or is Saban just trying to find his best five right now? Well, you got to realize Randolph is out right now. Um, you know, so you have, to, and I'm not sure if Eki, it felt like Ekior didn't uh, didn't scrimmage. So you kind of had to shuffle it around. Chris Owens has been a versatile guy along this Alabama offensive line for a while. I mean, you figure that he can play maybe all three positions: center, guard, and tackle. If you if you have to ask him to. So without Randolph, you move Latham over. If you don't have Ekior, you got to move Owens to right guard and. Darian Dalcourt, I believe, is the number, former number one center coming out of high school. 
And it just so happened to him that, you know, Landon Dickerson transfers in, takes those spots from him. And then you have such a veteran guy, Chris Owen, who you know is above reliable, well above average, but above reliable. The way he stepped in from Landon Dickerson in the college football playoff and in the national title game, made all the checks as a center, never had a bad snap. I don't remember him whiffing on a block. And maybe Steve Sarkeesian's that good of an offensive coordinator to be able to hide a little bit of um, Chris Owen stepping in there and just kind of getting a, those a reps at center under his belt. But Chris Owens is a guy that they like on the offensive line. I think Darian Dalcourt is a guy that they trust if something happens there. But as this Alabama offensive line group and Kendall Randolph comes back, if they like Latham at right tackle. Um, and so there's a lot moving around. But I fully expect if you go from right to left and right tackle to have Randolph or Latham, Eki or right guard, Chris Owens at center, Cohen at left guard, and then Evan Neal rounding out that offensive line. Taking a look at this offense now, we've had enough of Bill O'Brien handling this offense through the, the first couple of weeks of fall camp to, to maybe be able to draw some conclusions about what this scheme may look like this year. He's been, he, he's been on the record as talking about this is an Alabama philosophy. Not a, it's not about Bill O'Brien, but it's about Alabama. What differences, if any, have we seen so far through fall camp between Bill O'Brien and Steve Sarkeesian? No, I mean, it is the Alabama system. It's the same system that a lot of teams across the country are running. It's the type of system that everybody said Nick Saban was scared of, and he just tried to warn everybody about that if he was going to do it, that it'd be a problem for everybody else, and here they are. And Bill O'Brien, they're running the spread, and they're they're fortunate enough that they have better athletes than – um, 99% of college football, the only people that can compete with them from an athletic standpoint is going to be Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, maybe every now and then in Oklahoma, depending on how they recruit. So they have the best players playing in probably the best offensive system that allows athletes to make plays. And you're still going to see some power run game. It's, all, it's going to be a lot of shotgun. Not going to go under center a lot, obviously. But Bill O'Brien is going to add his wrinkles the same way Dable had his wrinkles, the same way Kiffin had his, the same way Sark had his. So I mean, I don't. It's not different, but I tell you, Bill O'Brien, just like Steve Sarkeesian, knows that in today's college football, you have to get the ball to the playmakers. This isn't line up twenty-two guys in between the hashes, and we're going to try to grind out three yards of carry and try to get a first down. You know, every other drive and win a game twelve to six. It's not happening. You got to get the ball to your playmakers, and I trust Bill O'Brien. Um, as a football coach, first of all, but as an offensive coordinator with a lot taken off his plate than what he's had to deal with the last few years, to get the ball in the hands of a John Mechie, who is still really good, doesn't have the top-end speed of Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, obviously, but he's a reliable wide receiver one. You're going to have some of these young guys show up, and Javon Baker's still playing really well. So, I mean, the the football is going to get in the hands of the playmakers, and the Alabama running backs are also um, very active, very active out of the backfield so I mean you're going to see a lot of running back catches as well speaking with Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.net here on the line with us I asked this question to Lance in our last segment and now let's change it to Alabama right here with two weeks away until September 4th against Miami is Alabama ahead on or behind schedule at this point as they get ready for prepping for Miami probably about a week away well, I, I mean, I don't know if they're – they're definitely not behind schedule. I think Nick Saban likes where they are. Nick Saban's never satisfied where this team is. I mean, they they can get a lot better. You're not – see, the problem with the offense is you're not going to know 
what it's going to look like until live game action happens. I just think back to Blake Barnett, and Bryce Young's better than Blake Barnett could ever have been in college, but when the lights came on, he couldn't get it done, and Jalen Hurts had to come in and save the day versus USC. That's not going to happen against Miami, but you just don't know what's going to happen with so many younger pieces on that offensive side of the ball. You'll figure it out against Miami, and you'll have a really good grasp of exactly what this team is going to be after week three, the same way you knew exactly what Alabama was going to be after they beat Georgia last year with Mac Jones. Could he handle the big situation? Yes, he could. Goes down as probably the best Alabama quarterback single season in history. Um, you'll know a lot about that Alabama team going on the road against Florida. I think they win that game, but you'll know a lot about them. I'd say they're right on schedule, and a lot of people tell you that the defense is so good that it, it's ahead of schedule. It's probably better than what a lot of people thought it was going to be. Has anything surprised you through fall camp? It's okay if, if anything has it, because, I mean, Alabama's pretty much by the book at this point. It's a self, self-sufficient machine. But has anything surprised you at this point through fall camp? Yeah, you know, Kendall Randolph being at right tackle surprised me at the beginning just because you recruited Brockermeyer. You've recruited Pierce Quick, Amari Knight over the last few years, J.C. Latham. And for Kendall Randolph to be holding his own right there until he banged up his ankle, I thought that said a lot, but still – how Jalen Armour Davis is impressing people in Tuscaloosa and Kyrie Jackson as well uh, at, a, at a defensive back spot, a cornerback slot, and how they've been able to hold off Kool-Aid. Um, to me, it speaks a lot. And this is a hard system to learn. It's tough for freshmen to play. I remember Tony Brown came in as one of the best corners out of high school. They threw him in the fire before they threw Marlon Humphrey in the fire. And corner's not one of those positions where you can lose confidence. And you can lose confidence quickly. It's a tough position to play if you're not 100% ready to go. So Jalen Armour Davis, a, um, a good surprise for Alabama and also just adds a lot of really good depth back there with the amount of young guys that are going to be playing, although they have had a lot of snaps. I wanted to ask you guys, I haven't been listening to the show. Um, what is the word? I know the, the AL.com article about Brian Harson and COVID and is that just an AL.com thing, or are people really thinking like that guy thinks? Because to me, when I look at it, I don't think Brian Harson should be pushing vaccines on anybody. You can do it if you want to. You can do it if you don't. Like, what's the vibe around Auburn, not just on one of the, you know, I guess one of the more left-sided media outlets in the state? You know, Jeremy, I was actually, that was where I was going with my next question. I wanted your opinion on what you've been seeing from the outside, and so I, I, I'll go to that in, a, in just a moment, but... I'll tell you, I think it's pretty split. I think, uh, you know, you are in the state of Alabama. And so uh, during these times, I think there are folks out there that are concerned about Auburn's situation at this moment. They're kind of taking it from that point of view, like, oh, my goodness, we're going to have to forfeit. Or, oh, my goodness, this isn't isn't a good look for the head coach of the football program to not be, you know, encouraging vaccines and, and to not have this program at least competitive with the other SEC schools in terms of their their vaccination rate. So I think there is some some legitimate worry. We've had some callers about it. I think there is legitimate worry in the community. Most people that I've talked to are a little concerned about it. What about you? Yeah, well, you know, that is – so the concern is forfeiting games, and the concern is that affecting your win-loss ratio at the end of the year. But I think it all goes down to is it the head coach's job? Listen, does Brian Harson have it or not have it? He hasn't answered the question. He says he's asymptomatic, which to me might mean that he's had the vaccine or has not. But to me, I'm not sure that's his job. I mean, like, where's where's Alan Green telling everybody to get it? You know, that, to me, this, when he, head football coaches, they're not scientists. 
Okay, they bring in. I'm sure Auburn's bringing in team doctors the same way everybody else has that have told players, you know, it's a safe vaccine or whatever, giving them their medical advice. But to me, I just don't think people should be writing hit pieces on on Brian Harson because he hasn't forced his players um, to get a vaccine. To me, to get a vaccine, this is America. I think they should have the right to do it. Now you will suffer those consequences. So there's a, if they if you do have an outbreak, you I ain't have to forfeit a game or two. So. I don't know. To me, I, I mean, I don't, I don't have anything against Brian Harson for this. I'm not sure that's his job to be mandating those things. Uh, but when you look around the SEC and other like teams like Ole Miss are 100%, I think only one player in Tuscaloosa hasn't gotten it. So uh, you know, it. I don't know. There's just so much in the air. I was just wondering what the what the thought was in Auburn about it versus how you know some of the media are pushing this narrative out there. I read um, something that um, Justin Hokinson wrote. I love reading his stuff. It's kind of a kind of contradictory to what was released on AL.com, so it's fun to see the two sides. My last question to you before we let you get out of here, talking actual football, let's stay on this side of the state with Auburn. What is your take from the outsider's perspective on everything that you hear coming out of fall camp with Auburn? Yeah, and it, it's tough to hear anything about football coming out of Auburn because everybody's focused on things that aren't, aren't necessarily um, X's and O's and on the field stuff. I, I think that Auburn's offensive line is going to – they're going to have to figure something out. I still think they have a good defensive backfield. It's going to be top five in the SEC, probably top four. Their defense, scoring defense, is probably going to be good. Defensive line, probably the weak link. Auburn's got two great linebackers, so the D-line's going to be the weak link of the defense. But I'm not sure that says that it's weak. It's probably just not up to where the other two levels of the defense are. So I think the Auburn defense is going to be fine like it has Truly, when you look at a points-per-game perspective over the last few years, um, it's just that Auburn offensive line, they're going to have to make some improvement because people are mad at Bo Nix. Um, and he just hasn't had a lot of time. and He didn't have a lot of time to throw the ball last year. He's going to have to have time. A quarterback with no time is not going to have any success. And if they can get Demetrius Robertson playing at even half the level that was expect, expected of him when he came out of high school, and they can get some of those other weapons rolling and give Tank Bigsby some lanes to run in, I think Auburn's going to do just fine. I'm still sitting right there, eight and three, eight and four, nine and three. No, I know you're on that nine and three as well, but that's not a bad first season for Brian Harson. It's a great first season. Foundation there in Auburn, and once again, Brian Harson has to knock off one of the big boys that he's that he plays. It's going to have to be A and M. It's going to have to be Alabama, or it's going to have to be Georgia. He's going to have to build some confidence inside of that program. Or LSU throwing them. I mean, uh, Auburn fans would be jumping for joy if they snapped that streak in Baton Rouge. Absolutely. Jeremy, right. I appreciate it, my man. Thanks for joining us today. Tell everybody where they can keep up with you. Yeah, you can find our stuff on RadioAlabamaSports.net. You can follow me on Twitter at IMJ underscore law. Thanks, Noah. That was Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.net with us here on the show. It's always good to get an outsider's perspective on some of the stuff happening inside the program because sometimes blinders can get thrown on in, in the sphere with different people that you talk to and then sometimes it can really get ratcheted up with the way that people can just kind of feed off each other and then one narrative can drive it's good to talk to folks outside the program and see uh outside the area and see what their take is on everything happening on the inside and a little bit more of a measured response there from jeremy law of radio alabama sports we wrap up hour number one when we come back Back on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama, you're listening to On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you for the Monday edition of the show. 
Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports joined us in that previous segment. If you missed any of it, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight as we wrap up hour number one. The semifinals of American Ninja Warrior finishes up in Los Angeles. Find out who's heading to the finals at 7 on NBC. Some movie selections for tonight. The final two movies of the Hobbit trilogy. The Desolation of Smog is on AMC at 4. And then at 7.45, it's the Battle of the Five Armies. Ever wonder what your pets do while you're gone? I haven't seen the second one. I might watch this tonight. The first one was pretty good, though. It's a cute movie. The Secret Life of Pets 2 is on FX at 7. Marvel movie with Ant-Man and the Wasp at 6.30 on TNT. Lance, remember how we compared Brian Harson to Ant-Man? Yes, sir. <laughs> I think it's a pretty accurate comparison. Live sports, Monday Night Football on ESPN at 7 with a preseason game between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the New Orleans Saints. Little League World Series on ESPN 2 at 6. Elimination game between Washington and Nebraska. ESPN 30 for 30 tonight. B. Water falls at an 8, chronicling the story of martial arts icon Bruce Lee. And that is what's on TV tonight. Lance, getting into our final segment here of hour number one of the Monday edition of the show. Let's go to reactions from the weekend. Reactions from the weekend. All right, Lance. What's the reaction that you had from the weekend? Well, another reaction that I had from the weekend was the Braves continuing their streak. Uh, We'll talk about that later on in the show. But I said that the Braves would get to 10 wins, uh, and that that was where their streak would end. And sure enough, uh, they were able to uh, sweep the Orioles. Really exciting stuff there. I kind of expected it to happen. Honestly, the Orioles have been so bad, and you and I were kind of going back and forth on Friday. Like, honestly is this is is are the Orioles this bad like are they possibly this bad could they possibly lose like 18 19 in they a row did. and sure enough they did I was shocked by I was shocked by the fact that the Braves were able to get the sweep not like maybe shocked is an overstatement but I was pleasantly surprised to see that the Braves did not drop one this weekend I knew that they would take the the series I fully expected two out of three but I too I thought that the, I thought that they were going to lose yesterday uh, and not because that Tuki Toussaint's not capable, but the closest starter matchup that you had of the weekend was Tuki Toussaint versus, and I, and I can't remember the Orioles starter yesterday, but that was the closest matchup that you had, and it ended up being a, a you know fairly close ball game, but Braves still end up taking it away. Another reaction that I had from the weekend: Seth Williams uh, getting in the action in NFL preseason had a 33-yard catch on that uh, broken play. Drew Locke scrambling away from the pocket, just kind of shovel pass, kind of flip the ball forward, and uh, Seth Williams, I believe, hurdled a dude uh, as he rumbled down for 33 yards, and a really impressive play from the uh, the sixth-round pick. How did we not see that guy do that at college? I mean, he was able to throw people out the way, but I didn't think he was capable of hurdling somebody. Sting? Constant go routes. Yeah. Did, has he jumped over somebody and I just don't remember it? I I don't remember. I don't I I would I would I would lean towards no cuz we would probably remember it if Seth Williams hurdled the dude. <laughs> yeah, I probably remember it too, but Yeah, Braves did the thing, Seth Williams. My last one is eight-man football is awesome. I went to an eight-man football game on Friday. Awesome. I wish this was more of a thing. Was it like, was it it eight on eight? 
Is yeah. that how it went? Interesting. No, interesting. there was eight players, entire entire field. It, I was about to be like, man, that's an interesting concept. <laughs> no, eight-man football, eight on eight on the field of play. Now, I was very intrigued. Let's see. That would be three offensive linemen then? Yes. Yes. In some cases, you could have five, but the two outside players are essentially the two outside players are essentially tight ends. That would be a two tight end set. So, so what, what they're you, eligible receivers. Yeah. What you could do is you could have five, and you could have a quarterback, a running back, and a receiver, and just have the receiver on a go round, or no receivers and stack it all in in the backfield. That's fun. That sounds interesting. It was Southern Christian Athletics, the SCA Patriots. They were playing. It's a homeschool and private school program for kids that maybe don't have the opportunity to play football at their at their private school for them to be able to go and, and play some football. And obviously, it wasn't like the highest quality of, fo- of football in the world, but I still really enjoyed myself and had an excellent time. Really wholesome, really wholesome environment to be a part of and to see a community gather and to uh, put on a show like that and to you know put on an event like that where they clearly just care about the kids and their kids having an opportunity to play and, you know, having a good, wholesome Christian time. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. And then I, I would say my final reaction from uh, over the weekend is Auburn High getting a massive win over Park Crossing on Friday. It was, it was 100%. <laughs> Auburn High means business. Yeah. Auburn High, that was a statement, 100%. Park, I, you expected a blowout, but I, I don't know if I expected a shutout. And that defense, Scott Goolsby, he's got them going, man. That That is a... Mama, there goes that man. Okay. <laughs> Auburn High beating Park Crossing 45 to 0. That's it for hour number one. We'll be back in just a few moments. You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun hour number one. Talked a lot of Auburn football. Wrapping up that second scrimmage and our takeaways from it as well as takeaways from Auburn's current COVID-19 situation with Brian Harson and Derek Mason out as well as some players as well. Talked about that a little bit in hour number one in addition to speaking with Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.net. If you missed any of our number one, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio, or on RadioAlabamaSports.net. Also, that's a great location to keep up with all the content. The show is putting out. Follow it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at RadioALSports. Getting into our number two, we'll start it off like we do every day, making headlines. And the first headline today has me scratching my head. Cam Newton is being sidelined over a, quote, misunderstanding of COVID protocol, despite the fact that he has tested negative. And he's out of the Patriots. He's out of the Patriots facility for five days. And you're getting a crunch time. The last preseason game's coming up. Of course, the NFL season starts a week after the college season does, so you've still got three weeks there. But nonetheless, 
this is interesting and a crucial development now that Mac Jones will move up the depth chart for at least five days. How did he? How is he out if he's he's negative? They just were like, "Well, you misunderstood." Didn't follow, didn't follow the COVID protocol, but that's Dang. the head scratching part. It's like, how are do we you serious? Not? This yeah. man's negative. Let the guy in the facility. Yeah, there's that, and then on top of that, like if there was a misunderstanding with protocol, like we're well over a year into this. How do you? How? How? <laughs> you know? Like, well, there is different protocol this year, sure, as to how the NFL is approaching it. But and this article can be found on ESPN.com, quote, misunderstanding over COVID-19 testing away from facility to keep New England Patriots Cam Newton out until Thursday. Supposedly, he had a COVID-19 test or COVID-19 test conducted away from NFL facilities after he traveled to a Patriots-approved medical appointment that required him to leave the New England region. and But still comes back negative so that's that's my thing is like the guy's okay right like let him in the building so they're they're slapping him on the wrist for taking a a a test outside of their facility correct even and and he tested neck that that doesn't why (laughs) that doesn't make sense at all that doesn't make sense at all it's something else that i was kind of confused about is is it said medical appointment right but it didn't say what the appointment was like. I mean, was the test just part of being there? Like they have to test you and then they'll, you know, do whatever their medical appointment was? Because if it was an approved medical appointment by the Patriots, then it had to be just like a general checkup or something, right? So was the test the only thing he did there? I don't think it was. So I just don't really get that either. If It's not like he deliberately got the COVID test off-site. Right. I would think that maybe that's just like part of having the appointment in the first place whatever the appointment was for and if and there was an issue with him getting it off site i believe that they would have communicated that to him right like they 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 would have definitely communicated to him hey don't take a covid test outside of our facilities i don't understand why uh that would be in place well, this comes but- from the statement that the patriots put out quote he received daily covid tests which were all negative due to a misunderstanding about tests conducted away from nfl facilities and as required by the NFL NFLPA protocols, Cam will be subject to the five-day entry cadence process before returning to the facility. So, I, once again, this isn't totally clear as to what the issue is here and, and where it lies. But And I may be wrong on this, but kind of the way that I'm interpreting this at the moment is that possibly he, he left. Patriots thought it was going to be okay for him to leave the area. He gets tested. Maybe the NFL says, no, like that, that's still not enough, even if you did test negative. Now that you're coming back from a location outside from New England, you have to, you have to, you have to you know, wait five days or so to, to rejoin the team. I have no idea. But this, the fact that it's all negative is the part that just leaves me befuddled about yeah. this. It's like, let the, let the man back in. Yeah, if, he, if he's negative, we good. <laughs> like, let's get back to practicing it's like i i don't it, it's really important like you mentioned it's crunch time now like preseason's wrapping up like we're getting closer and closer to game time like come on y'all if he's negative but it, like if, if he had tested positive i would completely understand like you set out that's the rules but i don't know it's the, the, the situation based on the information you just gave me is a little confusing and I'm confused too. I am. It's it just the the meat of this is Cam Newton's out of the New England Patriots facility for five days. 
and Mac Jones has an opportunity to move up the depth chart now with the current starter I mean Bill Belichick has said that Cam Newton is the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots but that that could be subject to change every player has to defend their positioning on the depth chart right and so game one starter not announced but currently at the top of the depth chart and has been taking first team reps all throughout the Patriots training camp yes that is true but once again Mac Jones being given five days here now to to potentially be able to leap up the depth chart I'm going to keep digging on this go and find that statement you you take me to the second headline the Atlanta Braves extend their winning streak to nine games with a sweep over the Orioles they did the thing Lance they did the thing after sweeping uh the Nationals sweeping the Marlins they swept the Orioles won 3-0 on Friday 5-4 on Saturday and 3-1 on Sunday I believe they were actually down in that Saturday game yeah they were down at some point and that they had to climb back into it but you know, just impressive showing by the Braves right now. I mean, they are on the hottest of hot streaks, and they, they play the Yankees tonight at 620. Uh, they've got a two-game uh, series there with the Yanks at home. They get the Giants at home after that, and then they have a series on the road against the Dodgers. An interesting uh, slate here over the, ne- the next uh, week and a half or so. But yeah, Braves were able to get it done. You and I were talking about it on Friday. We asked it during our segment, Fill in the Blank Friday, uh, how many games will uh, the Braves win? Like, what? when will their streak end? I said at 10. You said, was it, was it at 8? I said 8. I said they would lose the Sunday game. I said they would lose yesterday. It is currently sitting at 9, and I still believe that they'll win, this, they'll win the game tonight against the Yankees and then they'll lose tomorrow. Uh, and it, regardless of, of being right or being wrong or whatever, the Braves are extremely hot right now. And it's a fun t- it's a fun time to be a baseball fan because you know I'm I'm a really big Cubs guy and I just kind of checked out emotionally with them like I'm not I won't wa- I won't watch like I won't watch so the Braves have just kind of been able to to fuel that baseball uh, need for me they've been playing really really well without arguably their best player well here's a potential thing about the Cubs that I think can give you a little bit of solace they built that team from the ground up. They built that team from being one of the worst teams in the National League to winning a World Series and breaking the curse in however long it had been, you know, over 100 years. They they built that thing from the ground up. The, the Chicago Cubs organization, despite the fact that they are not the team that won that World Series, and a lot of those guys even aren't, aren't even there anymore, and that they are selling, and, and, and they will be a, a rebuilding team from here, despite the fact that that may be true, the organization is, a, is in a much better place than it was you know, over a decade ago. Yep. Much better place. And they'll be able to hopefully uh, get back to where they were in 2016. So at least they have the blueprint to right. get it done, right? They right. figured it out. They know the formula. They just have to do it again. And, and that is how it typically is in professional sports. It truly is a conundrum how an organization, it, it's even happened to the New England Patriots now. Like it eventually age, every organization does age. So like going back to the New England Patriots, it truly is amazing that they did it for like 20 years, almost 20 years. I mean, they were they were the most successful franchise of the NFL for the larger part of two decades. So, I mean, that is that is something that is ridiculously difficult to do and to achieve. And but it's still caught up with them. And guess what? Bill Belichick is having to he's having to replenish talent. He's having to rebuild. Now this year, could they be right back? You know, in contention for the AFC crown 100% I think that they've got a talented roster can they get quarterback play where they need to be that I don't know but I still think that they're going to be a good football team and and under Bill Belichick's leadership I think he can get them there but they're not one of my top teams in the league 
by by any means they're just having to rebuild and get right back there and so you even see the patriots it happens to i mean in professional sports because of the existence of the financial restrictions that are that are imposed in the nba and in the nfl and it's a lot more strict in the nfl than it is in any of the other leagues and baseball there's not there's obviously not the financial restrictions that there are in the, in the nba and the mlb it's kind of like self-checked does your organization have the money are you a small market or a large market team the new york yankees can spend you know monopoly money and get all that they want right whereas other teams such as the brewers they are limited in what they can do right and so the cubs are in a situation where they're kind of in between they're in a large market for for sports can they shell it out for guys right now they're in sell mode and they'll rebuild and they'll try and get right back there where they were but it is a positive thing that you can say yes these guys have these guys have the blueprint they, they've done it once they can do it again See, that's unlike my cleveland browns where for a while i was like will we ever figure this out right and now look we're in the playoffs but the question is will it be is it sustainable right, right. and that's the question i'm asking myself at the moment is will we go back to the playoffs or is this the beginning of another drought right so like a lot of it's about building something that is sustainable not a one-hit wonder right. anybody can win for one season and i think the i think the cubs are an organization that understands now after what we've seen from them over the last five, six, seven years, I think they understand that they can win. Right. Well, you talk about sustainability. The Braves right now are going to have to continue this uh, this uh, this run of success because the Phillies, while they've only won four out of their last twelve, they get to uh, the play. They get to play a four game series against the Diamondbacks here in just a couple of days, and the Phillies are only five games behind. If the Braves manage to potentially slip up against the Giants and the Dodgers. I mean, this race could get tighter. I'm really, I really want to see Atlanta uh, sustain this grip that they have now got on their division and try and expand uh, that lead. And I definitely think they can do so. They're just going to have to do it. And the Braves are another team that have figured out the formula to build right. and to have a sustainable winner. And it, what's crazy is they were not doing it for a majority of this season they were not a very good baseball team for the majority of this season but you knew the talent was there and now they're doing it without ronald acuna and guys that were underperforming are now performing to the standard that you want them at and other guys are overperforming maybe where you thought that they were capable of so this team has made up for losses i mean you think ozuna's not even out there i mean these guys lost some major pieces off their team from last year they, they're figuring it out now right down the stretch the true testament to whether or not these guys are actually a contender in the national league i think you'll find out a lot about this team as they go on this stretch against two teams that are true contenders in the national league and that's the giants and the dodgers you're going to find out about this team over the next eight games or so where they've got three game series against the giants and the dodgers and then this two game against the yankees here in the midweek you're going to learn a lot about this braves team Going back to the Cam Newton thing, I've got the statement from the New England Patriots right here. Quote, on Saturday, Cam Newton traveled to a club-approved medical appointment that required him to leave the New England area. He received daily COVID tests, which were all negative due to a misunderstanding about tests conducted away from NFL facilities and as required by the NFL-NFLPA protocols. Cam will be subject to the five-day entry cadence process before returning to the facility. Cam will continue participating virtually in team activities and return to the club facility on Thursday, August 26th. So, so from what I'm taking away from this, the Patriots thought everything was going to be okay by him having to travel as long as he you know, was going to be testing negative through these COVID tests. And there must be some type that they, they must have misunderstood the rules with what they gathered from, from this whole situation. Yeah, uh, it's 
Still bewildering though that he's negative and not allowed yeah, in the facility. That's but. kind. Of, that's kind of what I'm coming back to is that he's 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 still tested ne- is tested negative. Like, I mean, and it says multiple COVID tests, right. right? Like you go back to the statement, it says that that gives me he the impression. Yeah. Daily, daily COVID test, daily, daily, like during, negative, dur- during every time during his trip. Yes. So, uh, what what's the deal? <laughs> Maybe they're waiting to see if if the the potential that he tests positive over this stretch of days. I'm not I'm I'm not sure. Maybe that's the potential for it, and maybe that's where the misunderstood the misunderstanding lies. It, it not a whole lot of information there, but one thing for sure is that Cam is out, and Mac Jones now has a chance to shoot up the depth chart. Last headline here in our making headline statement: the AP All American team was released, and I'm a little confused, but a positive thing: Auburn's kicker Anders Carlson. You may know the guy. You may know the family senior kicker for Auburn. He's on second team AP All-America over Alabama kicker Will Record. Yes, sir. That's what I like to see. And then Cade York was the uh, the first team uh, All-American kicker, Cade York, coming from LSU. Uh, but what, what, explain to me what your, uh, what, what some of your uh, – what, what's confusing about these two teams to you? Well, second team running back, I'm blown away that Isaiah Spiller got second team running back. Mm. And Isaiah Spiller's a very good running back, and I'm not on this like A&M hate train as much as people may think that I am, but I just am bewildered that Spiller got the love more than maybe some of the other SEC running backs in the league that maybe could have been considered there. I think there are several running backs in the SEC that would have been a better spot for second-team offense at running back than Isaiah Spiller. Tate Bigsby being one of them, but if you're just looking at yards from last year, that would have been how you came to this conclusion. But Tate Bigsby averaged over a yard extra per carry than Isaiah Spiller last year. Yep. And he was hurt. Didn't even get, like, really incorporated into the offense until, like, week three and still almost had him on yards, right? And Tate Bigsby is as all-purpose as it gets. Look at the receiving numbers. And he returns kicks. So I'm just – I'm a little blown away on on Tate Bigsby – uh, on Isaiah Spiller over Tank Bigsby, but I even think there are other options that you could go here. No way they were going to put a Kentucky running back there, but Chris Rodriguez yeah. is better than Isaiah Spiller. Yep. Kevin Harris is better than Isaiah Spiller at South Carolina. Once again, the AP All-America, no way that they're going in that direction that they're going to put a South Carolina or Kentucky running back there at second-team offense, but I just I was shocked to see Isaiah Spiller there. I was, I was a little confused. The other second-team running back was Muhammad Ibrahim, at Minnesota, which he's catching a lot of love. And then the first team backs were Brees Hall and Bijan Robinson. And Bijan Robinson getting a, a heavy dose of love. First team. People are expecting him to have a huge year. Yeah. I, 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 I probably would not have had Robinson as my second guy on my first team. Um, maybe I'm just high on guys like Chris Rodriguez, Mohamed Ibrahim, and, and Tank, and, and some other guys. But yeah, I mean, what were your thoughts on the two quarterbacks, Spencer Rattler and North uh, North Carolina quarterback Sam Howell being number one and number two? Is that where they should be? That's 100% where they should be. I think that they got that right. I do. You don't think so? I think Nick's is really focused and having fun <laughs> right now, and he deserves he deserves at least, at least a shot at second team, man. I'm just uh, saying. Third team All-SEC? Yeah. It, third team All-SEC. Uh don't know the, the the way that the sec media days voting kind of set up kind of set people up to make picks that were not accurate i guess and i'm not saying that's just specifically about nicks i would say that about a few other different positions on the poll but uh looking down the list here on this ap uh all-american team any any anything else stick out to you that was i thought receiver was a little interesting justin ross was named first team out of clemson after missing a year now 
if this was last season, for sure. Like, if he hadn't missed a year of football, 100%. The numbers are there. But you look at the guys at wide receiver on second team, Garrett Wilson and John the third. after their seasons last year, I would 100% put them above Justin Ross at this point. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, it, it, it seems a little aggressive to put both Ohio State's receivers this first team All-America, but I definitely think that they're both that caliber. And then John the third, also another guy that, that could have gone first team uh, over Justin Ross. So I agree with you there. Agree with you there. And, and maybe I'm just hovering on statistics here, but the narrative is that Chris Olave is the best receiver in college football. So that's how he gets first team All-America. But you bring up the point, it's a little aggressive to have both Ohio State receivers there, but not necessarily when you look at the numbers because Chris Olave, 50 catches last year. Garrett Wilson, 43. This is the yardage disparity between the two, though. Wilson had 723 yards. Olave had 729 and then their touchdown total, seven for Olave, six for Wilson. Not a really big difference there. I still think Olave is the better receiver, but like Wilson, in terms of production, like those guys are about as tight as it gets between a number one and a number two receiver. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm trying to I'm trying to look up Charlie Kohler's, Kohler's number. He's the uh, numbers. He is the uh, first team tight end from Iowa State. Trying to see what his numbers are compared to Jalen Weidermeyer, who got second team. I've not heard heard a lot about this kid. I've heard a lot about Weidermeyer, but I've not heard a lot about this kid from Iowa State. So I'm gonna look look up his numbers real quick, just to see where he's at. Also, John Mechie had like what like 900 yards last year receiving in the second role at Bama. Let's see. Yeah, he had 916 receiving yards, 55 catches, six touchdowns. I mean, even those are better numbers than Chris Olave. I think John Mechie is going to be very special. I think I think he's going to be an excellent receiver this year one of the best in the country so even I would have taken Mechie over Justin Ross I'm you know happy to see a local product you know find himself in this situation glad to see that he's playing ball again but I thought that was interesting that was something that I was a little confused on I'll be real I am a little shocked that we're not seeing Will Rockard on this list I think he's a very good kicker as well uh Honors Carlson and, and him are neck and neck and of course Carlson statistically has attempted many more field goals than Will Rockard but I think that, you know, at least last year speaking, and that may have contributed to a couple more misses for Carlson in some of the situations that he's put in by Malzahn and the depth of his kicks. But still, I think those two, you can pretty much interchange. But that was that was mainly my my questions. Was running back and wide receiver, I was a little confused. Yeah, Charlie Kohler had almost 700 receiving yards in 2019, had almost 620, 27 touchdowns, and then Weidermeyer had just over 500 receiving yards. So, yeah, absolutely. Charlie Kohler, first team All-America from Iowa State, another weapon on that Cyclones team. Also, and this may be the most shocking thing about this AP poll, or not AP poll, the AP All-America team that was released out of the preseason. Guess which two teams, okay? and I'm sure you've probably seen the headline so maybe this is uh maybe this is not a great question but I'm hoping you haven't seen the headline which two teams ha- tied for the most guys on the t- on the All-America team oh oh it was um it was Notre Dame correct was one of them and was Iowa State another also correct All Notre right. Dame and Iowa State lead the country in All-Americans named to this list that's another thing that caught me off guard I was like wait a minute what that yeah. that I, I don't know if I'm there I don't know if I'm there on that one either. And I can't but believe they're putting that many uh, All-Americans on a team that's not three even going to go to a bowl. Notre Dame, <laughs> not even close. <laughs> Shout out to Notre Dame, though. Also, you look at their recruiting classes. I mean, they're still they're chugging along right now. Like They're going to be a good football team. They're going team. to be a good football team. As much as I may joke and kid and, and say that I, I, I dislike them, they're still going to be a good football team. But are they college football playoff national champion contender? 
No way. No. No way. And, and previous results suggest that as well. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we give five predictions for the ACC in 2021. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Got about five minutes here before we reach the middle of the hour and about 30 minutes left in the entire show. And it'll be The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama, on foxsports983.com, and on Facebook. That's foxsports983.com. We did this on Friday. I gave five predictions for the for the SEC in 2021, just general football predictions. Nothing bland, though. It was spicy last week, and we continue that trend today as we hit another power conference. We're going to be talking about the ACC today as we get ready for the start of the college football season this Saturday, actually, with some fun games from some teams out west. A couple of CBS Sports Network ball games with some Mountain West schools. I know San Jose State's playing against Southern Utah, reigning Mountain West Conference champs. Actually, took down Brian Harson and Boise State last year, as well as UCLA is taking on Hawaii. Fresno State's playing someone. I can't remember who that is. And then the the real fun game to watch if the 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 one game that actually has a power conference meaning to it illinois and nebraska play the the two bottom feeders of the big 10 but you do get a power conference conference football game yeah absolutely it's going to be dope i'm going to be watching that uh hawaii ucla matchup that's going to be a lot of fun i the the line right now is sitting somewhere around 17 points it opened at 11 and a half it's now grown to 17 i I want. I know I shouldn't, but I would. If I were a betting man, I would want to take Hawaii to cover that game, just simply because I think. I think it's. I think. It's I don't possible. think that's out of the realm of possibility. They've been headhunting some Pac-12 schools over the last couple of years, really shocking some folks. I mean, you look at them two seasons ago. I believe they'd be like three Pac-12 schools. I mean, Hawaii's over here like put us in the Pac-12. Yeah, absolutely. And then they they've got this running back named Calvin Turner Jr. And I want to really quick highlight his career. He was a quarterback uh, at the Jacksonville Dolphins. His first year in 2017, all he did was return kicks. In 2018, uh, he split time at quarterback, uh, threw threw a couple touchdowns, had a few interceptions, but ran for 1,400 yards. Okay. In 2019, he ran for almost for 1,300 yards and then threw for almost a thousand yards. Right. In 2020. All they did was use him as a running back, and he had 331 yards uh, and, and, and a couple of touchdowns. Well, rather, they, he also had 546 yards receiving. You talk about just a pure athlete, and Calvin Turner Jr. going to be the starting quarterback for the Rainbow Warriors this year. Uh, running back, rather. Like, dude is dude could be a threat. Dude, if 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 Hawaii is going to win that game, Calvin Turner will be the, will be the reason. Watch that game at 2:30 this week. Three straight seasons for Hawaii with a winning record. Let's look at Pac-12 schools that they've taken down. In 2019, they beat Arizona. They beat Oregon State. They were thumped by Washington 52-20. to And then, let's see, did they take on any in a bowl game? They did not. So in 2019, they took two down. And last year, they did not receive the opportunity to play the Pac-12 because they, too, like the Pac-12, almost did not play football last year. But still, winning records for this Hawaii team of the last three seasons. And UCLA, if they don't come ready to play from a defensive standpoint, I think it could be a fun ball game. 
Let's get to five predictions for the ACC in 2021. We only have time for one right here before we go to break. Lance, give me your first. Miami wins the Coastal over North Carolina. Talked about this a few days ago whenever I was given my 10 reasons why, or 10, re, or 10 expectations for the college football season, 10 predictions. I know you don't like that take because you're high on this uh, North Carolina squad. I need water. <laughs> this <But> is hot. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, 11 starters return on this Miami offense. They bring back nine starters on defense. There's no way that this offense doesn't get better there's no way that this defense doesn't improve I can see them taking it over North Carolina their schedule is both their schedules are interesting sure they've got some interesting matchups but I think Miami can take the coastal I think it happens I just think it happens there is a way that the offense doesn't improve and I'll tell you how Manny Diaz and Rhett Lashley those two guys right there that may hold them back (laughs) Derek King for Heisman We'll talk about that when we come back because my first prediction is about North Carolina. That'll kind of wink, wink, hint, hint right there about UNC. We'll be back. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Whatever's on your mind. We'll talk about it in the sports world. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, Analysis, News, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Giving five predictions for the ACC in 2021 today. Tomorrow we will do the Big Ten. Then it'll be on to the Big 12 and then the Pac-12 as we get set for the start of the college football season. Lance just gave his first and it was Miami will win the ACC Coastal and get back to the coveted ACC championship game Hurricanes Lance says they finally they finally get there and at least achieve what folks think that they can but I'm going to stick with the favorite in the division but I'll even take it a step further I say North Carolina wins 11 games or more this year and the over under on them I believe when we were talking about this on a playing the line segment about a month ago maybe a little bit more than that North Carolina's was set at 10 and I took the over and I'm still rocking with that I think this North Carolina team you look at the schedule favorable first half of the season you're at Virginia Tech if you handle them on Friday night after that it's smooth sailing you host Georgia State Virginia then you go to Atlanta and play Georgia Tech in Mercedes-Benz Stadium might I add but still not one of the better ACC teams they get to slam Duke after that and then you've got Florida State at home so like even the tricky games amongst that bunch aside from Virginia Tech I feel like you've got it home there between Florida State and Virginia and then you go and take on Miami but you get Miami at home and Miami may be coming off of a bye game but you get Miami at home you're going to be in your comfort zone rather than having to go down for a very long road trip I mean Florida is huge all right first of all North Carolina has to scale the east coast and then they have to scale Florida which may still be as long as the east coast if you've ever driven down that far to Miami so it's an extremely long road trip if they were on the road but they're not they're at home and so I think that that is a major boost for North Carolina that they get to play that game at their level of humidity in Chapel Hill North Carolina rather than having to play it in October in Miami where it still will be very humid and very hot so I like this North Carolina schedule a lot after that it's Notre Dame I don't like this Notre Dame team very much Wake Forest at home Pittsburgh on the road Wofford at home and NC State on the road I think this North Carolina team with Sam Howell they really are 
one that, that this is an ACC that has two teams that you could say this is the class of the league. North Carolina Clemson is going to be a very fun ACC championship game. They struggled against Boston College on the road. They lost to Florida State. They lost to Virginia. They struggled against Wake Forest. They lost to Notre Dame. I just don't see this team. I, I believe they will have success. I believe they're going to be talented. I believe they're going to improve and not have as many close close wins and losses as they did last season. I just like what Miami brings back. But now, you can I, say the same things about Miami. 18 starters come back for North Carolina. 19 starters come back for Miami. But you look at Miami last year. Right. They didn't look great against UAB. I know the final score was up by 17. But once again, still didn't look great against UAB. Gives up 34 to Louisville in that ballgame where they finally pull away at the end. They only beat Virginia by five, who was abysmal last year. Only beat NC State by three last year. Only beat Virginia Tech by one. And they had half their football team gone. I mean, and they got whooped by all the good teams that they played. So I think that there are major question marks facing both teams for their ability to actually do it. But I, I, I like Sam Howell that much for his passing ability that, that I'm going to take him in North Carolina over Miami. And because Derek King's winning the Heisman, I'm picking him. <laughs> That's a bit. But ser- seriously, though, I've just, I just fly. Both these teams are going to be good. Both they these are teams going are going to be good. Correct. All right, go to your second one. My second one is Boston College finishes second in the Atlantic. And the reason for that is simply because you look at Boston College's schedule. They only played two teams that had a winning record last season. They bring back their quarterback, Phil Jerkovic, which uh, you and I have talked about before, Noah. I'm really high on him. They returned back nine starters on that offense, nine starters on that defense. Look, their numbers weren't great last season, but you look at that schedule. You look at the, te- the, the guys coming back. They bring back four of their top five rushers. They bring back four of their top five receivers. Zay Flowers is going to be one of the best in the SEC in terms of receivers. I think this team could potentially get it done and get over the hump against a team like you know, NC State, who might be the favorite right now to finish second in the Atlantic. I'm bothered a little bit by Boston College's defense from last year. They actually still gave up. Boston College somehow got to a winning record, and and, and this is how you do it. I mean, you get blown out, and then you win a lot of close games, and that's what bothers me a little bit about BC. I'm with you. I think this is going to be a good BC team, and they are experienced. You talk about the offensive line. They're back as well. Boston College typically has a good offensive line. Boston College is like Kentucky that they they have good fundamentals they have good o-line play typically have a pretty good running back the defenses are typically good but the past two seasons the defense for boston college has not figured it out last year they gave up more points than they than they scored that bothers me a little bit you look at their schedule from a year ago they had some close calls only beat texas state by three only beat pittsburgh by one in overtime um they they handled georgia tech pretty well only beat syracuse by three beat louisville by seven and, th- and this is kind of the the thing that you know sometimes you catch breaks and you win more games you you win more close games than you lose and my worry is that those too many of those flip for bc this year by some of those teams maybe improving and, and some of those teams maybe catching up to boston college rather than boston college fully improving but i do think that this will be a bowl team at season's end and last year they were six and five so so maybe some of the games flip but some of the other ones flipped that they lost that were close and they just kind of stay where they're at sure sure I, I I'm not mad at that at the same time though you look at their games against North Carolina and Clemson I mean they played they played the good teams clear, uh, in the division close like they they That's played right. they played North Carolina and Clemson close so Notre Dame as well Notre Dame as well that game was close until late um Notre Dame was able to to, to pull away though but uh, I, I like this Boston College team specifically for their quarterback and the receivers, A. Flowers. If the defense can get it together, 
Uh, I think they can. I think they can be a pretty good team. But like you said, it all hinges on whether or not they actually pull it together. I will go now to my second prediction on my list. This one will be Florida State. I flip flop between this one and the Atlantic is so talented. The Atlantic, the like I, I have a hard time believing that the ACC is not going to have their in the Atlantic that the fifth place team is not going to make it to a bowl game. And I think that's where I slot Florida State right now. I was so tempted to say that FSU will not make it back to a bowl game, but I think this is kind of like a stretch either way that you run with it, saying that FSU will go back to one or saying that FSU will not make it back to one. I'm going to err on the side that Florida State will make it back to a bowl game this year as a six-win team. Their schedule is tough. They open up against Notre Dame, of course, which you think they're going to pull that upset. I think that they're just going to cover in that game, but and they'll make it entertain, but I'm not sure that they will win. After that, they got to play a Jack State team that is always one of the better ones in the FCS. That's never an easy out. Last year, they played Jacksonville State. It was 41-24. to For you to only beat an FCS team by 17, that kind of tells you where your program's that at. That game was insanely close yep. for a way too long. And that it was and that should tell you where the fsu program was at and and how much better does it get just because mckenzie milton entered that i'm not sure wake forest is still very good it, I, sh- I shouldn't say very good they have been a good team in the atlantic in recent years they've, they've had the ability to score last year they went four or five they had some decent wins last year though able to beat a virginia tech team last year they were able to push a couple of teams like nc state and north carolina to the brink do some of those games flip for them they didn't get to play a ton of games last year because they had some games canceled due to covid florida state's dealing with a, a decent amount of teams in the atlantic that are that are good louisville's another team what if they surpass fsu this year with malik cunningham at quarterback i see the schedule i see its difficulty i'm still going to ride with them and say that they make it back to a bowl game because i think mckenzie Milton is, is that good i will say about that jack state game jack state was up 21 to 7 at one point and they were still leading with about five minutes left in that in the third quarter jack state was and then florida state went on to win 41 to 24 i'll keep it with florida state with my next prediction prediction and you 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 talked about it there for a second i do think florida state beats notre dame in one of the biggest upsets in week one i think that's going to happen not only do do i think they cover i think they win outright i don't like this notre dame offense I don't like what Jack Cohn brings to the table. I've been watching actually some Jack Cohn film recently. I've been going back and watching uh, in, in entire games, just w- looking at what he's made of and what often uh, Wisconsin's offense like to do compared to what Notre Dame like to do. And in terms of system fit, he's perfect. I just think that if you put a little pressure on this guy, he is going to crack. And you talk about the atmosphere that's going to be there week one in Tallahassee. You talk about the pressure that's going to be on Jack Cohn in this in, in year one uh, with Notre Dame. I think Florida State gets it done. I think McKenzie Milton's the real deal. Florida State still has a lot of talent. I think it happens. Last five games terrifies me <laughs> on that FSU schedule. I know your I know your prediction was that they beat Notre Dame, and I'm fine with that. Still talking about that schedule, though. Listen to this last five games. All right, you get the reprieve that is the UMass homecoming game on October 23rd. Great, right? After that, ride this. At Clemson, host NC State, host Miami, at Boston College, at Florida. Hmm. Five losses right there. Maybe I shouldn't say that they're going to a bowl game. I mean, that Boston College game is really going to be the telltale sign for them. I think they're good enough to go to a bowl game. I just don't know if they can... Man, that is that is tough. tough. To, yeah, this this is gonna be a it's gonna be a year for them. <laughs> Mackenzie Milton's gonna have to put a lot on on his shoulders. I'll get to my next prediction now, and I'm gonna talk about North Carolina quarterback Sam Howell. I believe he'll be invited to New York for the Heisman. One of three guys 
maybe four, depending on how. I think it'll be him, Spencer Rattler, and then insert your third guy there. Tank. <laughs> it'll be Tank. I like that. I, I like that. I, I don't I, think so, but I like that. I do like the Sam Howell take, and I will say this. even I'm not bashing on North Carolina. I think they're going to be a good football team. I think Sam Howell is the real deal. I think that offense is going to be able to put up points. I think they're going to be able to score. You look at the the, 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 the guys that they bring back. They bring back eight starters. They lose their top four receivers, but I think Sam Howell is that good, and I think they're going to be able to put up points. And I, I, I agree with you. I think Sam Howell is going to be a good, uh, really, really good quarterback from a statistical standpoint. Will he be in New York for the Heisman ceremony? I can see it happening. Honestly, like you go back to his numbers from his freshman year, it's like if he was wearing purple and gold, he would have been there. Yeah, by uh, purple and gold, um, or not purple and gold. If he was wearing, purple uh, and, uh, yeah, orange. if he was, yeah, purple and orange, he would have been there. Honestly, if he was wearing purple and gold, he might have been there. I mean, it, you look at his numbers from his freshman year; he still threw for like thirty five hundred yards and you know thirty something touchdowns in that first year. His second team ACC, yeah, he threw for thirty eight touchdowns, seven picks, thirty six hundred yards in his freshman year. Last year took a little bit of a statistic dip, but only played twelve games, had thirty five hundred yards, thirty touchdowns, seven picks. Second team ACC yet again. So uh, he's been in the shadow of Trevor Lawrence. That is no more. He is not in the shadow of Trevor Lawrence anymore. This is his conference from a quarterback perspective. Well, I'll give my prediction from the rushing and receiving perspective. The ACC's leading rusher and leading receiver will come from Wake Forest. Jakari Robertson, uh, yeah, Ro- uh, Robertson from Wake Forest led the uh, the conference in receiving yards I believe with 926 and then Christian Beal Smith from Wake Forest I believe was second with 732 rushing yards last season look this this Wake Forest offense I believe they bring back nine starters they're really talented they have been for a few years now 11 I, according to Phil Steele I can see them I can see them popping off and I can see those two guys leading the ACC in both receiving and rushing last four seasons Wake Forest has averaged over 30 points a ball game last year they averaged their highest total in the last seven years at 36 points per game defense hurt them bad last year really has hurt them bad the last four years so those are some of their worst they had their second worst points allowed per game mark in the last seven years last year at 32.8 and their worst came in 2018 at 33.3 so the defense hasn't been good the last three or four years but the offense has been right there and They've been going to bowl games. They've been good enough. Last five years, they have they've gone to a bowl game. Right, last year they lost to the Mayo Bowl. They lost in the Mayo Bowl to Wisconsin, where they dropped oh, yes. the trophy. But you know, <laughs> the Duke's mayonnaise bowl, my favorite, which has tweeted at us before. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So because we were talking about the Mayo Bowl on is a show once. A bowl game? <laughs> <laughs> yes, is mayonnaise a bowl game? And, and, and yes, Patrick, it is. Um, my last one here before we go to break. And this is going back to our discussion about Miami. This is my take on Miami this year. They will lose three games. I'm not buying this team. I I go back to... In the first month. (laughs) I go back to close wins where you get breaks one year. Sometimes they flip and they go the other way and you don't get some of those close wins where there really was no telling whether or not Miami was truly a better football team or, or truly played like a better football team than NC State or Virginia or Virginia Tech last year where they only won by one or three points right and then they there was obviously such a huge gap between them and North Carolina last year was 62 to 26 and there was no there was no doubt in that game whatsoever at the end of the year you look at the Miami schedule it's tough the non-conference schedule that this you know five years ago this would have been the stuff of nightmares to open up against Alabama and then to have to host Appalachian State and then to have to host Michigan State I mean their first three games are against those three teams 
And then you get into the ACC schedule, and they have to go to North Carolina. They have to go to Florida State. They have to go to Pittsburgh. Three tough road trips right there for them in conference play alone. And and, and not to mention one of their Atlanta uh, their Atlantic opponents, in addition to having to play, um, let's see, who the other Atlantic opponent is. They have to play NC State, and then uh, how am I drawing a blank? Do they only have one Atlantic opponent, or am I just or am I just completely messing up? Because right now I just see NC State from the Atlantic on their schedule. Pittsburgh's not an Atlantic team; they're no, a coastal they're team. Coastal. Well, I guess the I guess they only play one. That just that does not make sense at the moment. Looking at their schedule. Hold up. Florida State. How did I draw a blank there? Yeah, Florida State is their is their um, is their locked every year from that side of the conference, and then their other one is NC State. So like. There are losses there, and I, I think they lose to Bama. I think they lose to North Carolina. I think they lose to NC State, if not lose to someone else like a Pittsburgh or a Florida State as well on a night where they just kind of catch them sleeping and possibly fall to eight and four. This this love fest with Miami may may very well come to an end quickly in the first three weeks if they were to potentially get upset by Michigan State or Appalachian State. And we've seen Alabama dismantle teams in week one and and ruin them. Florida State was a prime example. The end of the Florida State. The end of the Florida State dynasty under Jimbo Fisher, if you want to call that. His run at FSU ended that week that he played Alabama. So that that's my major concern. It's the fact that they have to play Alabama week one. We've seen Alabama hurt a lot of teams. Some teams don't really bounce back from the physical nature of that ballgame. How 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 many quarters do you think Miami is in that ballgame? One. One. I'm one and a half. <laughs> I like that. One and a half. The line, I, I've told you, I'm taking the line. I'm taking that. I'm, I, I say Alabama covers, man, by 17. The defense is there. What is the line? Is it 17 right now? It's 17. And, and look, you look at teams that play defense at the caliber of Alabama last year that there was only one, and it was Clemson. They held them to 17, and Miami couldn't do anything against them. Look at the line last year between the and that Miami-Clemson game and what Miami did on offense. They had 210 total yards of offense. Just 210. Just Just 210. They averaged 3.5 yards per carry on the ground, or 3.6. Only had 89 rushing yards. Passing, they were 12 for 29 for 121 yards, and they gave up five sacks. That offense is about to play defense that is just as good, if not better. And a, a lot of it still that, I have, that I'm uncomfortable with with Miami is the scheme from Brett Lashley, and it's still pretty simplistic for a quarterback, and it's easy for opposing teams to key in. Nick Saban has seen this before. He saw it for a decade almost, right? Like, I I just, I don't think it's going to be particularly close. I want to believe it's going to be close because Derek Keene's fun to watch, and I think college football's better when Miami's good, but I'm just not buying it. Is college football better when Alabama loses? It's definitely more entertaining. It's definitely more entertaining, and it's more competitive across the landscape. I would say that. <laughs> Let's take a quick break here. We wrap up the show when we come back. Wrapping up the Monday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. If you want to squeeze in a phone call, you got a couple of minutes, 334-321-1390. The Drive with Bill Cameron coming up in just a few moments at 4 p.m. from 4 to 6 as they do every weekday. Before we get out of here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. The semifinals of American Ninja Warrior finishes up in Los Angeles. Find out who's heading to the finals at 7 on NBC. Some movie selections this evening. The final two movies of the Hobbit trilogy. The Desolation of Smog is on AMC at 4. And then at 7.45, it's the Battle of the Five Armies. Ever wonder what your pets do while you're gone? The Secret Life of Pets 2 is on FX at 7. 
Marvel movie with Ant-Man and the Wasp at 6.30 on TNT. And live sports, Monday Night Football is on ESPN at 7 with the preseason game between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the New Orleans Saints. The Little League World Series is on ESPN 2 at 6 with an elimination game between Washington and Nebraska. ESPN 30 for 30, B. Water falls it at 8, chronicling the story of martial arts icon Bruce Lee. College football is back this weekend, but if you can't wait, ESPNU's got a couple of top 25 college football games of 2020. And that, everybody, is what's on TV tonight. Well, now that you've told me that there are some college football games on ESPNU, I know what I will be watching on TV tonight. You can find a football game pretty much any night. It may be back from the 90s or the early 2000s. You might be watching Tim Biotic Batuka, the Michigan running back. I messed that up. I said it so right the first time I did a while back couple of what's on tonight to go but the michigan running back that ran all over ohio state for like 300 something yards that game's been on a few times fsu florida state as well as we catching a lot of replays on espn classic but the classic games of 2020 are on right now yeah sec network also like at about midnight we'll just flip over to just some classic games and it's so awesome just documentaries all over the place as well yeah. i mean yeah there there's there, if you are starved for football at the moment you can find it for sure easily anywhere that you look so you can find that on tv tonight if, if you're not interested in anything live programming or any movies or anything once again espnu running its top 25 college football games of 2020 almost finished here with the monday edition of on the line lance what will you be doing this evening i'll be watching uh espnu sec <laughs> network uh just 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 hanging out and rolling some tide there you go and he means that ironically. I, ironically, I'm an Auburn fan, guys. I, I don't actually mean that. <laughs> That's it for the Monday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.